this is the last podcast of the show before the show before a week that brings us actual baseball games. Welcome, everybody. How exciting is that? I'm Tyler Mon in New York City is Sam Dykstra. Howdy, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Uh, that's fun. Games that is very fun. We're recording on Tuesday, February 23rd. Games get started a week from tomorrow, I believe. Yeah, so we're, we, we've reported on time. Um, yep, which we're here. On time is now early in spring training. Yep. So uh, we, we've reported on time. I think on time. time is late. I think early is now on time, and on time is late. Yeah, did I you hear about that story we're... of uh, the Rays? Blake yes. Snell and Jacob Feria got in trouble for showing up not early enough. And I uh, got chewed out a little bit by Chris Archer. So the next day, they both showed up at 7 o'clock in the morning <laughs> just to be safe. Um, so hopefully everybody else has learned their lesson. Might as well just move into the clubhouse. Yeah, you might as well just sleep in your locker. Don't ever leave, ever. Lockers are big enough in a lot of cases anyway. You can just make a little apartment out of it. Yeah, there you go. So spring training is a learning experience for everybody. And uh, well, it is for us as well. So with that, we welcome you into episode number 47 of the show before the show podcast. We got a good one coming up for you today. First, though, head on over to iTunes. Give us a rating, a review, a subscription there. You can leave us your questions, thoughts, comments, concerns. Search for the Minor League Baseball podcast on iTunes and rate and review over there. You can also find us at MILB.com slash podcast. We have our RSS link there if you're accessing from a device that needs such a feed. Uh, and you can leave us your uh, your questions and thoughts and comments and all that on each episode, uh, which we archive there as well. So as we get into it, uh, yeah, like real baseball is very nearly here. Minor leaguers report in large part next week. Everybody will be there for the guys who aren't already there. I actually had a conversation earlier today with uh, Dave Tremblay, who is the director of player development in the Atlanta Brave system. They already have a minor league mini camp going on. So there's already some work going on for prospects, uh, but everybody is into the pool as of next week. So we're finally there. We are finally there. Finally, fine. And you couldn't have said that at a better time it, after a nice of, or a nice weekend of weather here in New York. It is cold. It is rainy. Um, it is not sunshiny and dry and um, you know warm like it is in Arizona and Florida. So it's sunshiny here in Denver, but it snowed yesterday. So I walked outside and was just furious. But uh, and maybe this is a good time to announce: I'll be heading down to Phoenix in about two weeks. You will be heading to Orlando. Uh, is that where you're flying into? I'm flying into Tampa. Tampa. Okay. I'll be ta- I'll be in Tampa, so I'll be close. I'll be a 15-minute drive from the Yankees spring training facility okay, and fairly close to the Phillies as well over there in Clearwater. So we'll get to compare and contrast our uh, spring training experiences from on the ground in spring training. Not only are we going to be there, Josh Jackson will also be covering some Cactus League stuff. So Josh and I will meet up. Uh, He'll join the podcast coming up in a couple of weeks as well. So a lot of exciting stuff coming up for the show before the show. Uh, As for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast, Kansas City Royals prospect Kyle Zimmer will join us coming up here in just a little bit. 40-man roster member. He is at camp right now in Surprise, Arizona. Um off topic made some renovations to that ballpark this year did the rangers and the royals so i'm excited to get a chance to see what that looks like but he's at the facility uh getting ready to go for 2016 so we'll talk with kyle zimmer we'll talk with benjamin hill as well uh a big update coming on the fresno tacos if you were a huge fresno tacos fan last year then stay tuned because we have uh, some cool news about them coming up and uh let's get into it three strikes for episode number 47 is where we begin sam question number one for this week's edition of the show Heading into spring training, top prospects reporting across the land in Arizona and Florida. We often get into it 
have an exciting couple of weeks to see what guys can do. And then all of a sudden they kind of start dropping off like flies. The first guys get sent back to minor league camp the first week or so and get strung out for some guys throughout the end of March. Uh, But generally the guys who were most excited about usually end up starting the season in the minor leagues. However, Every year, there's a handful of guys who end up kicking off their season in the big leagues. This year, spring training 2016, which prospect will surprise people by making his team's big league roster out of camp? Yeah, when I sent this to you as an idea um, for a discussion topic, um, I really had one person in mind, and it's not anybody that's necessarily a top 100 prospect. I've seen him pop up on lists every now and again um, just because his numbers in 2015 were so exciting. I'm going to say Tyler White of the okay. Astros, just to kind of go off the board a little bit. Uh, the Astros have a fairly big hole, not a hole, but it's going to be a competition at first base. Um, A.J. Reed is, is the, I'll say the sexy prospect. I'm sure he'll like being called the sexy prospect. Uh, the sexy prospect Ooh, to, to fill that hole at some point, um, you know, after the big 2015 he had, but there's also Jonathan Singleton, uh, a former top prospect in the system who's kind of flamed out at, at the game's highest level. Uh, Matt Duffy, who got some experience in the majors last year, is also a consideration there. But I think Tyler White, he's a non-roster invitee, so he's going to have to have a big uh, big spring training, a big Grapefruit League over there with the, with the Astros team. Um, but what he presents at first base is a really, really interesting profile, at least as, as where I'm coming from. Uh, last year, he hit 325 with a 442 on base percentage um, between double A AA and triple A in the Astros system uh, had 14 homers, one triple 25 doubles, 99 RBIs. And here's the really, really interesting part for me. He struck out 73 times, but he walked 84. So he has a really good command of the strike zone um, is certainly patient is willing to take his walks is obviously willing to reach base, you know, as many times as he can in whatever capacity he can. Um, he's a little bit on the older side for a prospect. He, he turned 25 in October. Uh, again, he's he's not on the 40 man yet. He was taken in the 33rd round back in 2013. So this would be a really interesting story. But he he's not exact as I said. He's not a top 100 guy. So I don't think they would have that game of uh, you know we need to wait this guy out for contract purposes. Um, I, if he has a good enough spring, if he shows that eye again, maybe shows a little bit more power than just the 14 homers, uh, it would not surprise me if he can leapfrog Singleton. And if the Astros especially want to have Super 2 concerns with A.J. Reed, finally let him start at AAA. Uh, Fresno, again, we'll bring them up later in the podcast. Uh, White seems like just the kind of perfect candidate for that. You know, they'll have to move around some stuff on their 40 man to make it work. But if things fall into the right place, I think he would be a really, really intriguing uh, opening day guy. That is a really good pick. Uh, And again, it shows you how deep that system is that somebody who you don't necessarily think about when you think of that first rush of Astros prospects is a guy who's that talented who will really be, you know, a top five prospect in any other system in Houston system is like a mid range guy. Um, you know, just speaking in general terms about their system and how deep it is, um, because that would, uh, that would definitely be emblematic of that. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit, uh, off of the, uh, the normal radar screen with this one and, uh, Hunter Renfro in the same 
San Diego Padres organization is set for his second big league camp. And I feel like maybe isn't the biggest surprise if he makes a roster, but is coming to an organization that's been in a big state of flux over the last 15 months, let's say, ever since that crazy offseason of uh, 2014 coming into 2015. Uh, I think, you know, last year, really, really good showing at AA San Antonio, moves up to AAA El Paso, even better there. They have some guys in that spot of sort of the big young bat that they've been touting for a while. Austin Hedges is probably the guy who really comes to mind most uh, quickly when you think of the Padres and that next impact talent that they have who's come up from the minor league system. But I feel like Hunter Renfro is at least on that bubble where if he broke camp at the major league level, I could see that conceivably being something that benefits the Padres going into the early stages of this season. So maybe again, not the sexiest pick, uh, but I feel like he's had that exposure to major league camp in 2015. Now coming into this year, it's not going to surprise him going into a second big league camp. If he goes out and really blows up, they have need in the outfield where he could really be an impactful member of that lineup. And even though they have guys who have sort of already filled that role of that big young bat, I feel like maybe he steps into one of those spots. Yeah. Well, the the thing about, about them too, I think in left field right now, they have John Jay as their starter yes. in center. They have Melvin Upton, Upton Jr. Not necessarily guys who are screaming, you know, the future of the franchise there, um, both over, over 30, uh, so Renfro, you know, they, they're going to want to give him his chance for sure. And, uh, one candidate, I think he might be fighting out with is Jabari Blash, who is the rule five pick, um, tons of power out of him. And they're going to want to, if they really do end up liking him even a little bit, they're going to want to cling to him a lot. But, you know, I, th- I think you mentioned it, uh, in his 21 game set last year with El Paso, I think Renfro showed that he, he had kind of turned things around a little bit, hit 333 there. Um, showed the same pop. So maybe if he carries that momentum going forward, you know, I, it, it seems a little outside the box. I'll give you that, but it's not outside the realm of possibility either. They got a lot of those big bats and and young guys, but why not? Why not? Give him a shot. Seems like right. somebody could be interested. For discussion purposes. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Uh, let's see. Strike two this week. Sam, how can you leave off all of my favorite players from your farm system rankings? Everybody that I like you didn't put on your list, and I don't know what it's about. That's strike two. Yeah. So what Tyler? Let's, let's explain. To, I know before everybody thinks that you actually hate me for some <laughs> reason. Uh, I came out with farm system rankings. We kind of teased them a little bit last week. Um, they're based solely, and I'm going to say this twice, based solely on position players. That position again, player position farm player. system rankings. Yes, they're not individual player rankings. No. They do not encompass pitchers. No. They're farm system rankings based solely on position players. Internet commenters, take it yes. away. Yeah. So I've had people reach out and say, "Why did you not include Julio Urias?" It's because he's not a position player. <laughs> uh, and he could probably be good at it if he tried, but he's yeah. Not. Shout out to Craig Goldstein who literally yelled at us over the internet <laughs> saying Lucas Giolito demanded to be on here. Um, but yeah, so this was fun to put together. Um, just kind of my own thoughts going through it. Um, there, I think the top 10 is really, really interesting. Even the top 11, I had the Atlanta Braves at number 11 who got so much more interesting this off season by picking up Dansby Swanson, um, Austin Riley getting some love there, but just to count it down from there. So I have the Braves at 11 at the Dodgers at 10. I feel like I need to explain myself a little bit there. Uh, Corey Seager, obviously the runaway number one prospect. Um, every the prospect everybody's writing about, everybody wants to see this spring. 
but after that, it gets kind of hairy. Some sites really like Cody Bellinger, first baseman outfielder, and others really like Alex Verdugo as an outfielder. Bellinger's one of those interesting guys we kind of talked about last week who were there very wide ranges of projection for him and how much sites right. and, and, and publications like him. He's one of those guys who was really split. Right. And both of them appeared in the 50s in some other lists. They weren't ranked in the top 100 by MLB.com. Um, trying not to favor one list over any others. Um, so that split just had me kind of split myself on the Dodgers. So I have them at number 10, still a very good ranking, mind you, and still one of the best farm systems overall. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks, but, um, a, a, not as high as you may have expected for having the number one overall pick or number one overall prospect. excuse me. Uh, number nine is Milwaukee Brewers, obviously led by Orlando Garcia. Um, good friend of the podcast, Brett Phillips, also in that system, Trent Clark, a lot to build on. And and they just picked up Jacob Nottingham, which I think may have pushed them from 10 to number nine, at least, you know, makes that system all the more interesting, especially depending on what they're going to do with Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, number eight is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, Austin Meadows leads off there. Josh Bell, Reese McGuire, uh, Brian Hayes, Alan Hansen, Elias Diaz, just a lot of really interesting names. Uh, Meadows, again, the, the the top prospect in that system, number twenty, not particularly really really stand out, but just it's a I really like the depth there. Um, the Cubs come in at number seven, even after graduating Addison Russell, Kyle Schwarber, Jorge Soler, Chris Bryant last year. Um, a lot of their talent is kind of further away, but last week what we had on the podcast, Wilson Contreras, he could easily become their their catcher this year after a breakout 2015. Lieber Torres is the top prospect in the system. Um, was only 18 last year, played at two full season stops. Um, so it's still more to come in that cup system, even if it means it's not going to come right now. Phillies at number six got big help from their Cole Hamels trade, picking up Nick Williams and Jorge Alfaro. Uh, but the shining star in that system is J.P. Crawford. Um, I actually think he could be this year's Francisco Lindor as a guy who comes up middle of the season um, shows a really, really good glove and might surprise some people with the bat. But uh, we'll talk about that more as we get into rookie of the year discussions and major league debuts and stuff as the season goes on. Uh, number five, Minnesota Twins. The two big standouts there, Byron Bucks and Max Kepler. Um, lots of other talent between Jorge Polanco and Nick Gordon, who are usually at the back end of top 100s, but tend to appear in a bunch of them. Adam Brett Walker. His power we've talked about a lot. Really, really like him. So they're at number five. Houston Astros talked about Tyler White before. Um, they don't have necessarily a big, big standout prospect. Um, Alex Bregman was their top pick last year. Uh, could be that guy. He's probably going to have to move off of shortstop at some point because they have arguably the game's best shortstop in Carlos Correa. But th- there's Reed. There's Colin Moran. They picked up two other really good prospects last year in the first round. Kyle Tucker and Daz Cameron, a deep system just seems like it got even deeper. So they're number four, number three. Um, when I kind of was looking over a lot of lists, there were a lot of reasons why the Texas Rangers should be number one. I had them at number three. They, they have the best big three in prospect land right now between Joey Gallo, Nomar Mazzara and Lewis Brinson. So they could have been even scarier if that Cole Hamels trade had never happened. Um, but they pick up a pitcher that's going to help them, you know, that helped them win the AOS last year. So they're not exactly regretting that now. Uh, but after those three, it kind of falls apart a little bit for me. I don't think there's anybody 
even in the top 100 discussion. So that top three is enough to push them to number three in my rankings just because they are so good. They're all kind of consensus top 20 guys. And when you have three cornerstones like that, that's how our farm system is built. Uh, number two is the Boston Red Sox talking about big three. Their big three is Yon Mankata, Rafael Devers, and Andrew Benintendi. So three guys, Mankata and Devers were only at Class A Greenville last year. Benintendi was just taken last year, could move quickly as a college bat, who really impressed a lot of people last year. But these are all guys who haven't played above uh, just Class A ball, so their talent's a little further away. But again, really, really exciting, and they have a little more depth in that system with guys like Sam Travis, Devin Marrero, uh, Luis Alexander Basabe is getting a lot of talk now too as well. Um, so really like the Red Sox depth uh, as well as that top three. And the number one system in terms of uh, position player prospects that I really, really like is the Colorado Rockies. Uh, they took a guy who a lot of people, um, a lot of evaluators believe was the best player actually in the draft last year. They got Brendan Rodgers, who's a shortstop. Uh, he, he, he's landed on a bunch of top 20 lists, could go even higher than that once he actually proves himself at, at full season this year. But what I really like about the Rockies is just really the depth of that system. Because um, beyond Rodgers, you got David Dahl, who's a consensus top 100 guy. You got Ryan McMahon, who's a consensus top 50 guy. You got Ramel Tapia, who doesn't appear on all lists, but uh, nobody doubts his skill set. They just want to see what happens when he moves to double A. You got Forrest Wall at second base, um, who appears on multiple lists. Trevor Story, Christian Adamas. Um, you know, these aren't necessarily high ceiling guys, but they are definitely looking like impact major leaguers. Adamas has already made the majors. So this just looked like the deepest system for me. And that's something I value when I'm looking at a farm system is not only do you have that top talent, which I think they do have in Rogers, but how deep does your talent go? And for the Rockies, I, I couldn't find uh, a deeper system than theirs. I should also throw in uh, catcher Tom Murphy who got some time with the Rockies last year, offensive-minded catcher. It, the list just keeps going on and on, and that's why I uh, put them at the top spot. How can you not put Blake Snell on this list, Sam? Because he's a pitcher. Why no Alex Reyes on this list, Sam? Because he's a pitcher. I'm oh, sorry, okay. The I've ever gotten. <laughs> I know, and you're in an office. I can yell because I'm in, I'm in my uh, my own little uh, little room here. But yeah, no, it was uh, farm system rankings based on position players, people who comment on the internet. But really, it's an outstanding piece, as is everything that Sam does. Put it up uh, at milb.com yesterday. You can check that out as of now and see where your team falls in. Um, if you're a Marlins or an Angels fan, maybe don't. Uh, <laughs> moving on, strike three. Uh, what do, what do we have for strike three this week? Oh. It's you. Yeah, I, this is, I should be asking you about this. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Strike you three. Got a, you got a story coming out on Thursday uh, that it sounds pretty intriguing. Uh, I think the other day was the anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. This is kind yes. of a story involving those two cold, warring nations. What, what do you have to say about USA, USSR? Uh, relations through baseball. Yeah, I did not time this out to coincide with the Miracle on Ice, but that is a very good point, and I'll just tell everybody that I did. Um, back in 1989, a team of Eastern League All-Stars uh, traveled to the Soviet Union to play baseball games against Soviet baseball players. They played uh, in Kiev, in Ukraine. They played in Moscow. Uh, they played as well in Estonia. So it was kind of a goodwill mission. They called it the Diamond Diplomacy tour 
And it's a really interesting backstory. It's something that was really kind of a pet project of Major League Commissioner Bart Giamatti, who unfortunately did not live uh, to see it come to light, to see it come to reality, uh, but sort of had this idea, we should send a team to the Soviet Union on a goodwill mission. He got in touch with uh, Charlie Eschbach, who was at that time the president of the Eastern League, now works uh, as kind of an advisor to the Portland Sea Dogs, who are in that league. Um, Charlie got with the team owners. Basically, everybody was on board, and they started putting this plan together in 1989. So they sent over a team of double-A players only from one league, which if you kind of know how minor league baseball operates now, this league autonomy seems so strange and so fascinating to me. It was one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this story, that the Eastern League just decided on their own, no, we're going to do this just as our own league. It wasn't a minor league all-star team. It wasn't a double-A all-star team. It was just an Eastern League team of guys. And they picked players who were obviously talented, but they really picked players based on personality. They wanted kind of ambassadors to go over, meet Soviet baseball players, run camps for kids who wanted to learn how to play baseball, and really engage with what was a very small baseball community. But they did. They got to go over there. I talked with uh, Murray Cook, who is uh, MLB's field guru, basically, and one of the best follows on Twitter. If you want to know the big things Major League Baseball has planned, follow Murray Cook on Twitter because he's advanced scouting all of it. So when he posts a picture from Cuba, you know that more than likely there's going to be a big-time baseball game played in Cuba soon. But I got to talk to Murray, who built the first and at that time only pitcher's mound in the Soviet Union. Talked to Charlie Eschbach, who was the president of the Eastern League at the time. And just today... Uh, I got a chance to catch up with Dave Tremblay, who was the manager of that Eastern League team. And just really cool to get a, a take on a very bygone era in the world. I mean, hearing about how these guys really had no idea what they were going into. I mean, nowadays, you can Google anywhere in the world and find out pretty much all the stuff you want to find out about it. But at that time, they had no idea what the situation was going to be like when they got there. Didn't know how many people they were going to be able to talk to in English or what their translators were going to be like or what their accommodations were going to be like. Didn't know what the baseball infrastructure was like. Didn't know what the guys they were going to be playing with or playing against were like. So it was really interesting to hear this story of how this all came together. And by the end, as Dave Trebley told me today, baseball is a common language for everybody. And they sort of bonded with people just based on this mutual love of baseball. They went over and guys, Russian baseball players, Soviet baseball players who had served time in the Red Army and were playing on various track and field teams competing for the Olympics transition to baseball. They were talking, they were wearing Yankees t-shirts. They were talking about how much they love Kirby Puckett. That's such a strange and bizarre thing to think about in the Soviet union in 1989, but it really shows how much of a common language and a uniting factor the game of baseball is. And so it was kind of one of those early forays into the globalization of the game of baseball. And uh, so all of that coming up on Thursday on the site. Yeah, and, and just kind of quickly to touch on, how did they end up with baseball? I mean, there wasn't too much sharing cultures between us at that point time. So why why were they interested in baseball at all? That is a very good question, and one that I haven't really found uh, a total answer to yet because it's not like the same sort of situation where – uh, in Korea or in Japan, it was brought over, you know, either militarily by uh, Americans who were playing at bases at certain times or whatever it was. You find that a lot in where baseball really spread early on. The Dominican Republic uh, was kind of more of a an economic thing. There were, you know, sugar plantations that ended up developing teams, whatever. But Puerto Rico, Cuba, all these areas where there was a heavy American influence. As far as baseball in the Soviet Union goes, I'm not really sure, to be totally honest. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping to uncover cover uh with this story because it doesn't have the same hallmarks of the the historical foundation the way that it was a lot of other places around the globe but 
kind of one of just one of those randomly exported things that really for the Soviets was uh, a big piece of uh, their diplomacy efforts was success in sports. And when baseball was admitted to the Olympic Games, that's when it kind of started being something that people in the Soviet Union thought, well, we should try to learn how to do this so we can be competitive in it and whatever. So it is sort of echoes of that Cold War era miracle on ice type of mentality. Uh, but it's it's fascinating in that it in no way follows the same procedure as how baseball got spread everywhere else around the world because that was not the case in the Soviet Union. But um, kind of an interesting uh, one of those things you would never really think happened and it actually happened. And they were sort of the <laughs> sort of the guinea pigs of the globalization of baseball. Yeah, it, it, this is not fiction that you'll be writing. That's for sure. Very random. Very random. So that's what I got coming up on the site. Sam has his story coming up on the site. Uh, this week is, wait, what's the next step in? Because prospect projections are all wrapped up. So your next one then is what? So so I'm going to continue with farm system rankings next week for, for actual pitchers this time. Oh, so it's a separate thing where the pitchers weren't included in the position player ranking is what you're saying. Were you just setting me up for that or were you actually asking? <laughs> oh, no, I had, a, I had a whole plan for that. Oh, uh, okay. You always do. I don't know why I was underestimating you. Yeah, and I have, oh, a, man. I have a tool shed piece that's coming out this week as well, so look for that on Friday. Tool shed coming out Friday, but yes – just one more time to cover this. The farm system rankings that came out this week were based on position players only. Next yes. week is pitchers. That so is next week you can all get on and say, how is Byron Buxton not on this list? <laughs> Don't worry. Although he has a great arm. So, you know, maybe. yeah, that's true. That's true. Joey Gallo threw 98 miles an hour in high school. You can probably yeah. put him on there. Yeah. See, there you go. A uh, couple other things from the site this week. Kelsey Hannigan has a really, really cool story. That's up as we, uh, we head into the foul ball segment of three strikes, which we came up with last week. And I'm still so proud of, um, a really cool story that came out today, Tuesday, on the the quick revamping of the Philadelphia Phillies system. And this is an interesting one because a couple of years ago, I mean, I made sort of a crack a minute ago about the Marlins and the Angels because of how barren those systems are right now. That was the Phillies a few years ago. That was also, you could make the argument, the Brewers a few years ago. And right now, we're looking at each of those systems as really top five systems in baseball. Uh, but this is a cool story about what it feels like from the inside of the Philly system right now, which was not at all the case a couple of seasons back. Yeah, the, the really interesting point of this to me, and this was a great get by Kelsey, she talked to Matt Klintek, uh, the new GM of the Phillies, who came over from the Angels, and uh, talked to him about just kind of the state of the system, what it is now. And, you know, the big trade that really refilled this system was that Cole Hamels trade that we talked about earlier. Um, so you got Klintak talking about what that does, and you got Klintak talking about breaking over Mark Appel and letting go of Tyler or uh, Jesse Biddle, excuse me. Um, and just this guy who comes in and is just like, all right, we're going to have to rebuild, and this is what we're doing, and this is what happened before me, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, so you have him and then you have some of the prospects who are the new guys coming in talking about what a, an exciting time it is. Um, so it, it's definitely a per, uh, piece worth reading it when you get the chance. It certainly is. That's up on the site right now. We also have some more prospect Q and a stories, which have been uh, rolling out to the site. Um, Ozzy Albies was an interesting one to read. He talked with our Josh Jackson, who again, we'll be visiting with from spring training here in a couple of weeks, but Ozzy Albies is one of the, he's kind of one of the most interesting man in the world style prospects in minor league baseball, but he's from Curacao. I think he speaks five or six different languages um, and is, I mean, he's still a teenager. He's 19 years old. He's been climbing really quickly, really, really good at class a Rome last year. 
year. So check that one out. Richie Schaefer as well. Um, Schaefer, of course, kind of gained some internet, internet notoriety last year when hit his first big league home run, returned to the dugout. Everybody was ignoring him. So he just mimed like he was high-fiving and hugging and celebrating with everyone. MLB turned that into a, a, a gif that they have since used all over social media. So some good stuff on the prospect Q&A stories, Qs and As. I guess would be the way that I would shorten that. And yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, those are the ones that we had set out to cover. So next week, farm system rankings with pitchers. Don't forget it. <laughs> that's what's I, I don't think they possibly can, though. <laughs> You're a great right. hype man, Tyler. Mullen. You know, I try. It's my whole goal in life. Uh, so that wraps up three strikes and some foul balls for this week, the 47th edition of the show before the show coming up next, we will take uh, one of our first dives into real spring training action as Kyle Zimmer is already uh, full on has dived into the, uh, the spring training festivities in surprise, Arizona, where the Kansas city Royals convene as world series champions coming off the 2015 season. We'll talk with Kyle Zimmer about what it's like in Royals camp right now and his expectations and hopes for the 2016 season. That's coming up next. Spring training camps underway for major league clubs. Uh, pretty much every full squad has reported minor league guys starting to roll in the rare guys who aren't there already. And uh, Kyle Zimmer, of the Kansas city Royals joins us in what has to be one of the most exciting Royals camps ever held. Kyle, what is going on? How's, uh, how's the offseason been treating you? Uh, it's been going well. It's been going really well. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's a really exciting time to be a Royal. It's a fun time to be around the clubhouse for sure. Tell us what it's like right now, because the last few seasons, this has really been building in the system. Uh, I was down there last year and got a chance to kind of feel what it was like around just everyday work at camp, where it seemed like everybody in the Royal system knew that there were big things on the very near horizon. And now breaking through winning a world series, uh, what has the energy been like so far just in these initial few days since you've uh, gotten back into, into really regular work? It's been, it's been amazing. I mean, obviously the team coming off of the world series championship, the buzz around the locker room and the clubhouse is, is sky high. And um, I mean, it's, there's still sort of a sense of, I mean, like, not I don't want to not not being content and I mean there, there's still that fire that's that's driving in everybody that we not only want to get back to the playoffs and win the division again but we want to get back to the World Series and, and win another title and uh, I mean it's such a great group of guys and being around it has just been has been amazing and for you personally I mean this camp is a little differently in that it is a little different in that you've been added to the 40-man roster back in November uh, you know there's a somewhat of a chance that you can make a big league team. Um, you know, it's more than just a non-roster invite for you. Uh, what does this spring training mean to you in kind of that scope? Yeah, I mean, it's huge just being able to, to be out there and compete and, uh, and show them what I can do on the field where uh, the last few, time, last few springs I've been, um, I've been coming off injuries or been injured. So uh, it's been great uh, finishing last year healthy and coming into this spring uh, healthy and, and ready to roll. And so just being out there and going out um, to the field every day with a, with a chance to compete and have some fun out there has been amazing. Yeah, and you, you mentioned it there, the, the kind of rash of injuries throughout your career. You know, you had shoulder surgery back, I think, last offseason, some lat problems, some elbow issues. Uh, what kind of work have you kind of put in this offseason to kind of put those injuries past you? And, you know, how much are those kind of on your mind or are they completely gone now that you are feeling healthy? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm feeling great, so I'm not really thinking about that. I'm thinking more about baseball-related stuff, which is a nice change of pace. 
Um, but this off season, I mean, I went, really went in sort of putting an emphasis on, on more flexibility um, than I have before versus uh, in the past, I've been more of a heavy weightlifting type of guy and I've been more bulky and um, I'm down about 10, 12 pounds than what I, what I usually have been in the past couple of years and uh, feeling a lot more flexible um, throughout my whole body. I did some deep, deep tissue work uh, out with a guy to, uh, out in San Diego um, where I lived during the off season and um, that and some flexibility stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, everything's feeling good. Kyle, when you go into a, uh, a camp like this, all of a sudden the the scope of the Royal system really over the last year changed. And in large part, it's because of some deals that are made that pay off. It's a World Series championship. That's the goal you want to accomplish no matter what level you are uh, at in the system. But for you, you go from being kind of one of the guys in the advanced levels of the minors um, who has a, a big major league pedigree. Coming into this time last year, you were joined there. Sean Manaya is there. Brandon Finnegan's there. Now all of a sudden, you're kind of that guy at the forefront of the upper levels of the minors. Does it feel different for you coming into the season, knowing what's in front of you and knowing that you really have a big opportunity as maybe that, that real frontline prospect uh, in the system compared to what it was last year when there were other guys around in a similar sort of area in their careers? Uh, no, I, I honestly, I would say not really just because um, I feel like I put the greatest expectations on myself. Um, I set really high goals and expectations for myself where I know other people have high expectations for me, but um, I always feel like the expectations that I put on myself are higher than anybody else can uh, can put on me. And so coming into this year, I just treat it like any other year where I'm going to go out there and do everything that I can to, to make the club and um, whatever I can do in between the lines to, to make that happen, I'm going to do. And um, whether there's other guys I'm competing against or, or anything like that, or if it's just me or whatever, whatever um, the situation is, I'm going to treat every day the same and just control things that I can control. And that is honestly just going out and making my pitches and getting outs and, uh, and whatever happens, uh, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. And kind of speaking about those pitches, I, I kind of want to get into the nuts and bolts of what you are as a pitcher. Um, you know, MLB pipeline, you know, has you as a, four plus pitches between your fastball, curveball, slider, and changeup. Um, some really good control, you know, when you have been out there and healthy. Uh, what do you think you need to do to make that next step at, in terms of repertoire, in terms of your pitches? Um, what are you specifically working on right now in camp? Um, well, I think first off, it's obviously staying healthy and being able to go out there and take the ball um, whenever, whenever they give it to me. And I think that's I've taken a big step in the right direction from that standpoint. And then my stuff, I mean, my stuff, I've always had confidence that it's uh, that it's where it needs to be. Obviously, you can work on a few things. Um, this offseason, I spent a lot of time working on my changeup and fooling with some grips, and that's feeling really good right now. Um, my slider, I sort of uh, made a small grip adjustment, uh, tightened it up a little bit more, um, hoping to, to get a little bit more velocity and, and sharpness to it. Um, and my curveball is always sort of in my out pitch. And so um, just perfecting that. And then obviously the biggest uh, separator in baseball is fastball command. So trying to perfect that as much as I can, just like any other pitcher. Um, but, uh, yeah, just going out every day with a purpose and, uh, and a mindset to get better and, uh, and uh, with all my pitches, really. And when you mentioned you're working on a new grip of that changeup, what specific changes have you made? Um, I mean, it would be easier to show. If I had a ball and can show you, but right, yeah. uh, just really minor, I mean, just minor stuff versus sort of 
I mean, just toying around with it, like loosening a little bit of grip here, moving a thumb a little bit to the left. I mean, it's just really small things, but when it really comes, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's all about sort of comfort and a field pitch for me. And so the more comfortable I get with it in my hand, the better it can come out and uh, the better spin I'm going to get on. So that's, that's sort of where, where that's at. Yeah. And going back to last year, um, you know, you split your time between Lexington and Northwest Arkansas, um, got a decent amount of relief outings. That was more just to make sure you were healthy, get your, your feet back under you. Um, but there's some uh, talk about, you know, maybe your major league future might be in a bullpen. Uh, how much do you kind of prefer one or the other? Or, you know, how do you kind of approach being a starter versus being a potential future reliever? I mean, I'm, throughout my whole career, college, professional, um, pitching I've always been a starter and so that's more uh I guess more it comes more naturally to me but uh after last year experiencing some time in the bullpen um and sort of I guess proving to myself that I could do it it's not as foreign to me anymore and so I I feel like I'm really comfortable doing either and so whatever um whatever I can do I guess to whatever role suits the team the best um and however they choose to use me uh whatever's going to help the team get more wins and whatever I can do to help uh, I'm, I'm really up for anything. Kyle, let's talk about your background a little bit. Um, from California, Southern California kid, went to La Jolla High School in La Jolla. Uh, and actually, you were a third baseman and recruited out of high school as a third baseman to go to the University of San Francisco. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's so correct. how was the transition to pitching? You had pitched a little bit in high school, but to go from doing that, you know, being recruited at a, a position player level to go play at a really high level in college, what was that transition period like? <laughs> To be honest, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> uh, it was tough. I mean, yeah, my whole life I was a hitter, um, and I loved playing every playing every inning, every of the, every game out in the field, and switching and becoming a pitcher. And I mean, really, I had no idea what I was doing when I first gave me the ball and said, "Here, get on the mound. You're going to go throw that sixty feet, six inches towards the hitter." I'd be like, oh, "Okay, like I'm going to go and just throw it." Like I, I wasn't pitching at first; I was just throwing. So. There was a there was a severe severe learning curve. Um, I mean, I I threw like five innings or something my freshman year at uh, at USF, and so it was really just countless countless hours of just while the team was on the road and I wasn't traveling, going down to the batting cage and fooling with grips and just throwing into a net and trying to learn how to throw a curveball and a slider and different stuff, and really just making adjustments. And then uh, once I started getting a little bit of feel for some pitches, I would go out and and throw bullpens and throw against and more into the net and then and work on some mechanical stuff and then uh summer ball was a big was a big help to me because i got to to go out my first freshman summer and and i was a starter out there so i got to throw a lot of innings i started started getting a feel for pitching and then um it all just sort of started to click and started to take off from there but at first yeah it was definitely it was pretty brutal at first so you go to, to college. I mean, you play a really high level of high school ball. You go to college ball. Um, and in the meantime, during all of this, uh, your brother Bradley is kind of right behind you, a couple years behind you for school. Um, you grow up, get drafted with the fifth overall pick in the first round in 2012. Your brother goes with the 21st overall pick in 2014. So you have uh, a family with two major league first round draft picks in it. Uh, I am not a father yet. Sam is not a father yet. But let me ask you, can you have your parents tell us what they fed you guys when you were kids or how did this happen <laughs> oh gosh yeah uh pulling weeds and uh <laughs> and making fun of us no it was uh yeah i mean we're, we're obviously really lucky to be blessed with some good genetics um my dad played baseball in college and my mom um ran track in college and so 
uh, my brother got the speed and I got the arm, I guess. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're pretty lucky. And, um, yeah, they're both very supportive and have been there for us all, every step of the way. So it's pretty cool to, to be able to do what we're doing now together. And uh, we'll leave you on this one then. You know, you guys are both in the AL Central now in terms of prospects, him being, uh, you know, with, in the Cleveland system, you being in Kansas City. Um, is there any kind of competitive rivalry there? And just to settle this once and for all on the record, <laughs> who's the better prospect, you or Bradley? <laughs> Oh boy! I mean, I gotta say myself. Honestly. There you go. I, I can't, I can't <laughs> that have older brother. You're the older brother. You have to exactly. Yeah, I can't concede anything till the day I die. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. There's a. We've been. We're only 14 months apart in, in age, and so growing up, it was everything we did was was a competition, and so uh, baseball at this point in, in our lives is is definitely no different. <laughs> we we compete with everything we do, and um, so it's pretty fun to to hopefully face off uh, here in the near future. A couple seasons down the road, it's going to be uh, game 163 to decide an AL Central title, and we'll have Zimmer versus Zimmer, and then we'll get the answer once and for all. <laughs> there you go. We'll <laughs> find out then. <laughs> Kyle Zimmer, pitching prospect in the Kansas City Royals organization, and coming into this year is MLB Pipeline's 65th best overall prospect in all of baseball. Uh, you can find Kyle. He is on Twitter at KyleZimmer11. Kyle, enjoy the time in Arizona getting ready for this season. Thanks a ton for giving us uh, a few minutes, and uh, best of luck in the spring. Yeah, man, no problem. Thanks for having me. Benjamin Hill joins the show for uh, the latest edition of Ben's Biz Banter as we get close to uh, the opening of the 2016 season. And we're in, I guess, sort of like the kickoff of the baseball new year, which means it's like New Year's resolution time. And we were talking a minute ago, Ben is like, you're best shape of your life territory for spring training. This is a good start for all of us. I feel like we can all <laughs> feed off this momentum. Yeah, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but... Uh... I started going to the gym for the first time in a while. I got a personal trainer for the first time in my life. Shout out to Wilson, who I've been uh, my personal trainer. Who Wilson, does he have one L or two L's in his name? Because we had a talk last week. Wilson Contreras, two L's. It's a rare spelling of Wilson. No, no, one L. You know, okay. he, he's nice and it's lean. The one L crowd. He, he, he has no, he has no excess. <laughs> he's aerodynamic. He's aerodynamic. Um, yeah, so I've been going to the gym. I've been waking up early. I've been uh, getting healthy, and I hope if people see me on the road this season, um, I'm not going to impress anyone overtly, <laughs> but if you saw me last year in the increasingly slovenly shape I fell into, um, <laughs> I hope to uh, turn some heads and maybe some lady heads. Hey, ladies, I'm single. Okay, now let me ask you this, and and ties in with that because I am not in the office. What's the beard status like right now? moderate okay okay because every time i go it's like an increasing level of impressiveness with the beard for benjamin hill yeah impressiveness or degeneracy or sort of an outward manifestation of my lack of effort in all things related to my life except my job that's why we're here to talk about all the great things i do as ben's biz every day it's true and speaking of which uh that's the craziest thing about ben's biz.mlblogs.com is the photo of ben um, like the little profile shot on the right side of the blog is like short hair sans beard Ben, or at least that's like very little stubble Ben, which you would not, if you saw that picture and you saw Ben today with the hair and the beard, you would not think it was the same guy. Yeah. I've gone through a second puberty. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, well, let's dive into it. Uh, the Fresno Grizzlies slash tacos are the big topic of the day today. We uh, discussed them a lot last year, of course. Uh, the Fresno Grizzlies had a, a promotion for the ages in which they became the Fresno Tacos for a game because of their taco truck throwdown, which has been a very successful promotion. It was in its fifth season last year, but they came out with an outstanding logo, uniforms, merchandise that has flown off the shelves in Fresno. Uh, there was talk last year that this was going to be expanded to some degree. There was a, a brief post that somebody had put out uh, that said that the Fresno Grizzlies were exploring the option of rebranding entirely to be the Fresno Tacos. But it looks as if now we know what the extent of the taco phenomenon will be in 2016. Give us the lowdown. Yeah, you know, Fresno is in America, um, you know, ground zero of the taco scene. It's... Um, there's a strong uh, taco truck culture there, and the Grizzlies have just—they just every year find a, a new way to capitalize it, and a new way to grow this, and a new way to attach, you know, local pride in tacos, um, you know, to how they operate at the ballpark. So last year they were the Fresno Tacos for one day. This year, 2016, they're going to be the Fresno Tacos every Tuesday. Every home game Tuesday is Taco Tuesday in Fresno, and so for all 10 Tuesday home games, they will be the Fresno Tacos. With the you know tacos jersey, the tacos hat, a uh, rotating selection of local taco food trucks set up at the ballpark. Um, the tacos are all two bucks, you know, pretty reasonable. Um, fans can buy foam taco hats, and they also announced uh, that they're going to unveil a Fresno Tacos mascot Tito at a later date. Um, you know, San Antonio has Henry the Puffy Taco, so this will be the the second taco mascot in minor league baseball for uh, for those keeping score at home. And what exactly we're kind of looking at it now, it's going to be a little different, the look, as opposed to what, was, what it was last year. Kind of tell the people who can't see it right now what the look is going to be as compared to the one we saw, you know, the Grizzlies slash Tacos where last year when they were celebrating their taco. Well, the main thing, the way they describe it is with a twist of lime. You know, a good taco, you're going to squeeze a little lime on it. And so they've made a – they're orange and green, and it's much more – the green factors in a lot more than last year's version tied in with the lime and so you got a real vibrant orange and green uniform um, that I think reflects pretty well how vibrant a food the taco can be one of the we were talking a few minutes ago before we got started that something you know we talk about in this segment every week caters to a certain type of baseball nerd um, and I would assume this is probably not uh, something that the mainstream person would really care about but last year one of the things in the uniform community that was discussed was that the tacos hats did not have the MILB emblem on the back of them because they were not approved in time to get that part put on but I would imagine that these years uh, additions this year's additions with the hint of lime now i would imagine those will have that on yeah i can't say for sure but i would be almost positive that these are going to be as a as official as a taco hat can be just in case you're as big of a nerd as somebody who has an entire wall full of hats in his basement i don't know anybody who that would be um let's continue on the tacos front there was a uh, a really funny story that came out uh this week ben that you also posted on the blog that sort of involved a, a cultural food exchange that crossed boundaries it was like a whole. It's like a, a big international intrigue story involving the tacos, uh, which is very much a, an Americanized uh, Mexican food, and the national food of Canada, which is poutine. Uh, give us this story. Yeah, you know, as I mentioned in this blog post, one of my favorite things about the job that I have is is hearing from the readers and getting emails from them. And I got an email um, a little more than a week ago from a guy named Damian Ford. He lives in Ottawa. 
big, uh, of course, big fan of Ben's Biz, but you know, big fan of uh, minor league baseball in general, and specifically a fan of hats and jerseys. And he loved the Fresno Taco hat when the Grizzlies changed the name to the Tacos last year. One problem, he lives in Canada, and the Grizzlies don't ship their merchandise to Canada. So he did not know what to do. This is a man, a Canadian man, desperate for a Fresno Tacos hat. So he started harassing the Grizzlies on Twitter in a you know, very lighthearted way, but saying, you know, like taking a picture of his hat and saying – or taking a picture of his head and saying like – That's my favorite tweet. A, a, a taco's hat belongs on this head and, you know, vowing to never visit Sacramento, which is the uh, Fresno Grizzlies rival town and rival team, the Sacramento River Cats. Um, you know, posting photos himself with hot sauce, saying he needed a taco for it, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally he says, listen, guys, I'll mail you poutine and you mail me a taco's hat. And the Grizzlies said, deal. And, you know, he thought about it a little bit and he was like, well, I'm not going to mail poutine because if in case you don't know, that's, you know, French fries covered in gravy and cheese curds and you can't really mail that. So he went to the supermarket, you know, bought potatoes, gravy mix, bags of cheese curds, sent it to the Grizzlies and uh, ultimately in exchange – the Grizzlies sent him not only a Taco's hat, but a Taco's jersey and a uh, Parker the mascot figurine as a bonus. But the main thing is, is he got his Fresno Taco hat and jersey, and he's wearing it proudly in the snowy winter Ottawa weather. And uh, just one of those quirky things, and I was happy to include that on my blog. The blog and most of the post is in Damien's words, um, basically just repurposing the email he sent to me. And, you know, why should I write if someone else is going to do it for me? And are there going to be people who could try to make this a thing and just try to send Fresno Grizzlies as many, you know, is there going to be like Curry from <laughs> India or, you know, something from Australia trying to get these hats all over the place now? I hope so. I, got, I hope you got Vietnamese fans sending, <laughs> sending the Grizzlies some pho or pho, depending on uh, your prefer, preferred pronunciation. Yeah, I hope, I hope you've got uh, fans in Thailand selling, uh, sending larb salads and uh, pad thai. I hope this becomes a uh, global phenomenon in which the Grizzlies are inundated with boxes of cuisine from all over the globe and feel obligated to send all these people taco hats. I promise to not mail them Rocky Mountain oysters. Um, Thank you. (laughs) What what are those, Tyler? Um, It's a a part of the the bull anatomy. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, fried. Share on this family-friendly podcast. Yeah, we'll we'll let you Google. I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's a Google page. I'm I sure think you can Wikipedia. say that. Yeah, we could probably yeah. say that it's bull they, testicles. They've sell right. they've, they've sold it's a food stuff. Rocky Mountain oysters have been sold at minor league baseball games. There, uh, uh, well, I don't know if it's still. No, there is still a, uh, a concession stand at Coors Field that sells them as well. That was like a big thing when it opened. They were going to be selling rock. I've heard they're good. Everybody says they're good. Who's trying? In, in my pre gluten free days, because the only thing that's going to keep stop me from eating. Rocky Mountain oysters is clearly whether or not they have gluten in them. Uh, but I, I got some in Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. I thought they were pretty good. They were very inoffensive. I mean, it's it's just one of those things, you know, when in Rome. That's what I've heard from everybody. Um, so maybe one of these days. But don't worry, Grizzlies. I will not be mailing you any foodstuffs uh, from my area. Uh, let's talk uh, next about a, uh, a story you got coming up to the site, Ben, which is a one of those baseball detective types of stories and a guy who a love of the game type of uh, embrace of something that not a whole lot of people would know about or even really be able to go after the way that he has tell us about the story coming up tomorrow 
Yeah, well, as you mentioned, pretty much everything we talk about is for some sort of uh, minor league baseball nerd. Uh, I've got a story running on the website tomorrow, MILB.com, for those keeping score at home. Um, I talked to a man named Chuck McGill, a baseball history nerd, some of my favorite subset of uh, the baseball nerd. And also, the name of Saul's brother on Better Call Saul. Very weird. I just uh, just realized that. Wanted to pop in. Absolutely no point for anything, but that's one of the main characters of Better Call Saul. Thank you for that bit of uh, pop culture <laughs> trivia. I, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, so this guy, Chuck McGill, he joined Sabre, you know, the Society for American Baseball Research, and wanted to do a project that no one else had done, didn't want to retread ground that's already been trod. And he came up with the idea of compiling a master list of minor league baseball no hitters. Um, he had a lot of them or included in the encyclopedia of minor league baseball, but he thought to himself, you know, there has to have been more than this, especially when you go back to the 19th century, the turn of the century, when there were just dozens and dozens of minor leagues all over the country and small towns all over the place. Um, he thought, you know, I, I want to find every minor league no hitter that I can. So he's done this completely from his home in Vermont. He works for the national weather service by day. And, uh, you know, he subscribed to newspapers.com and you know the sporting news and sporting life archives and going through google news he has been scouring thousands upon thousands of old box scores looking for no hitters that have not previously been documented and has found over 500 of them and so i interviewed him talked about his project and uh you know why he does it and um he has a Included within the story is a link to his spreadsheet which is very dry it's a it's a spreadsheet it's a google spreadsheet but you can just peruse peruse that spreadsheet and uh you know it's thousands and thousands of minor league no hitters going back to the 19th century uh including all the ones he's found uh you can you know sort them by league and year in which they happened and just a kind of fun thing to get lost in if you are of that inclination and how many has he discovered you know just by himself that he hasn't found another in like the encyclopedia like you said he told me he's found over 540 no hitters and uh, was kind of talking with pride about like his best day where he found 18, you know, where, <laughs> where they, he said they were coming at me right and left and left and right. Um, he said it was the Northern Indiana State League and the Kansas State League. So he, he clearly got access to some newspaper articles he hadn't seen before in a league that wasn't well documented and just was knocking them down. All these uh, previously undiscovered no hitters. So it's pretty cool stuff. He there was one guy by the name of Harry Kane who pitched in the turn of the 20th century, and um, this guy Chuck McGill has found three previously undocumented Harry Kane no hitters, giving him five total now because two had already been documented, and that puts him in a tie for all time most minor league no hitters. And Harry Kane is the same name as a uh, Tottenham Hotspur forward. So there we See? go. See, just Look have at all these names. Name recognition all over. <laughs> There we go. We got to wrap it up with the uh, the apropos pop culture reference. Well, and it, that is really cool because, I mean, those are some of the best days of guys' lives who are otherwise lost to history. And so it's neat that somebody is going through and taking the time to discover things that would otherwise be, you know, something that nobody knows about. I mean, that's a, that's a big moment in people's lives that now will be uh, appreciated a century plus later on. So go check out that story at MILB.com. And Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz, and you can follow the blog bensbiz.mlblogs.com Ben, I assume you're looking very good and uh, sounding great on the podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. I look as good as I sound, so however good you think I sound, that's how I look. With a twist of lime. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
It's going to be some cool stuff coming to the site and to the blog from Benjamin Hill. Our thanks to him and our thanks to Kyle Zimmer from the Kansas City Royals who joined the show earlier. Again, you can follow Kyle. He's on Twitter at KyleZimmer11 and Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. And that'll wrap up the 47th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Again, uh, not even two weeks away. Sam and I are uh, headed to spring training. When are you going down there? I'll be leaving here March 5th. Okay, so we're, we're going to be around the same time. I'm leaving here March 8th. Uh, Josh Jackson will be heading to Arizona March 7th. So that week, we're, we're going to be covering it wall-to-wall. It's going to be yeah. a ton of fun. We'll have a special podcast that week. and then On we'll location. On location. And we'll have uh, be doing interviews for all the while we're down there. So we'll probably have some canned stuff that we can share um, as we go towards opening day as well, after, after we're back and uh, out of the sun, sadly, once again. What I am very excited about is uh, I teased this yesterday on Twitter, and I am really going to see if I can make this happen. But big news that was tweeted out yesterday by Jane Lee, the MLB.com writer for the Oakland Athletics. Uh, Shake Shack is opening its first location in Phoenix this weekend. So Phoenix now has Shake Shack, In-N-Out, and Whataburger and that is not okay for the rest of us. I mean, it, it is okay, though. I mean, it's okay if you're going you to enjoy there. it. That's yeah, great. it's not okay for me. Like, no, that's true. I, this is the point where I tell people, like, please tweet me your like Florida eating, you know, preferences yeah. or recommendations, all of that, because I don't know anything about down there, what, like what the in and out equivalent is for Florida? Florida. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't. They don't have that kind of big burger type place. Um, and I would really like to enjoy some of the local fare down there. So if people have their recommendations, please send it to me. Tyler's taken care of. Yeah, Tyler no, just I'm set off three places that he's going to spend the entire week at. So I'm set. Don't worry about Tyler. Tweet it all. Tweet all your delicious uh, Florida cuisine at me, please. Yeah, do that. He is at Sam Dykes or MILB. Uh, but I really do want to do a taste test of all three burgers. Maybe I'll see if I can like rope Brett Phillips into this or something like that. <laughs> One of those guys who's down there. I'm like, I feel like you'd be down with taste testing the major three uh, awesome burger chains. I, do that. I would almost prefer it that you and Brett Phillips go to the Grand Canyon. Okay, like, that would be a awesome. Buddy road trip. <laughs> Just you pick him up at the get into a sitcom. Yeah, I need that to happen as well. <laughs> Uh, last year I stumbled upon a tamale place near Hohokam, which is now the Oakland athletics facility, uh, in Mesa and inside for no apparent reason, the El Paso Chihuahuas logo was painted on the wall. It was a, the most amazing tamales I've ever had and b the most random minor league baseball connection I've ever seen in my life. So I'm excited. Well, to, I'm going to hit yeah. that place up again. So now the bar has been uh, set. Bar has been set. Paint, paint the weirdest logos that are in no way tied to your restaurant, just tangentially tied to your restaurant. Paint them inside, and I will come visit your restaurant. Let's get some Vancouver Canadians action <laughs> down somebody, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Somebody puts like a Prince William cannons. Just paint the weirdest, most random minor league cuts. thing you can think of. Deep Why cuts. Not? So that's coming up next month. Uh, but before that, we'll have an episode next week coming your way, uh, which will be ah, – it'll be the day after Leap Day. It's too bad. More than likely because we usually record on Tuesdays. Leap Day yeah. is Monday, I think, right? Right. Which doesn't exist uh, after Monday. We could have recorded a Leap Day episode and then never again had a February 29th episode. Uh, but next week, we will be back with more as we get set to go for spring training. Game starting next week, which is very exciting for all of us. And uh, until then, this is the last time that we're going to leave you without baseball on the horizon. So get your offseason activities out of the way because all of your time is going to be lost starting this time next week. Get pumped. We'll talk to you then. Yeah.